Power Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature artists of, we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the universe, the great mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is Jennifer Bull. She's an author and a violinist and a chef. A sous chef is what she, what she said before the show. Uh, with her writing, she goes by this, the uh, name of J.W. Bull, and she's the author of Picking Tomatoes and the fiction winner of the Shirley U. Jest Book Awards. Um, Shirley, LOL. Jennifer was born in Mount Vernon, Ohio, and grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia, Raised by parents who believed in encouraging their children to follow their dreams, she received a Bachelor of Violin Performance from Furman University and also worked as a sous chef in a French restaurant. Currently, Jennifer lives in Atlanta, Georgia, with her husband and her two sons. When she's not teaching violin, playing in the Georgia Symphony, or cooking, she's working on her next book, Musical Chairs. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you here on the show. So how did you get interested first in being a violinist and then in writing? Um, well, like you said, the, um, in my biography, I grew up in a family where my parents um, really encouraged us to follow our dreams. Uh, I have two sisters um, and a deceased brother. And um, my sister, my oldest sister is an artist and my um, middle sister is a dancer. She's gone into the field of Pilates. Um, and we were just encouraged from like as early as I can remember, picking one thing you're good at and sticking with it. Um, and so I picked randomly the violin at age six. And um, I don't know, I've just never once doubted that violin was my thing. Um, along the way, I found out I had some other gifts, um, but violin was my thing from day one. So when you first um, started with the violin at age six, do they have smaller violins for children? They do. I started with a Suzuki method. I'm kind of a hybrid player, Suzuki and traditional. Um, and Suzuki method started out in the 1960s, a method, Japanese method, geared towards little kids. Start them at like two um, and ear train and immerse them. It's called the mother tongue. Immerse them in language and <clears throat> music, rather. Um, and it, they copy they don't learn how to mu- read music until, I don't know, fifth grade, sixth grade. Um, but I started at age six, a little bit late. My parents talked to uh, a woman, Ann Rodig, in Charlottesville, Virginia, talked her into teaching me at six. And she taught me uh, the repertoire, the music from the Suzuki program, but also taught me traditionally. So, And, and as far as violin sizes, they can come as small as one-sixteenth, tiny, tiny, tiny. I think oh. I've actually seen one-sixty-fourth, which is really tiny. <laughs> that does sound really it's amazing the sounds you can make on those little tiny violins yes I, I guess well and it um sounds like the way that you learned would be more fun for kids to learn that you're it, actually able to start playing something right away it is and that's the way i teach too i i'm a hybrid teacher um i teach uh classically trained um, music, um, and I also teach Suzuki music, training the ear, and bluegrass. We do a lot of bluegrass. And, oh, really? Yeah. So I've got about 25 kids right now and and, uh, and adults. So I enjoy it a lot. So yeah. what, what ages do you prefer to teach? I really like the teens. That's where I am right now. Um, probably middle school, actually, is probably 
even better, middle school to teenage. But I mean, I've I've taught as young as two and a half, and that, that, that was pushing it. <laughs> Hard to get them to sit still long enough, I would think. Well, you have to have the perfect mom. Uh, it's not as much as as a gifted two and a half year old. It's got to, you've got to have the perfect mom that does exactly what I say. Right, <laughs> and that's a challenge. Right. <laughs> well, I um, at what point did you decide to start writing? Because I know you've got one book that's out and yeah. called Picking Tomatoes, and you've yeah. got another book that you're working on. So when did you decide to start exploring that part of your artistic creativity? Um, I started in 2006. We were having um, some financial dif- difficulties, and I love to read. Always um, love to read. I've li- liked to write, but it wasn't until 2006 I thought I could start writing. I started with children's books, um, didn't really make a go at the children's book. And then in 2006, I wrote a book called The Chef of Hearts. Um, and uh, I finished it in like three weeks, which I actually I didn't finish it. I, I started on it, worked on it for three weeks, and then immediately started sending out, which is a big no-no. You never send it out before it's done. And I immediately picked up an agent. Um in New York, a large agent. And um, I thought, oh, man, I'm going to be this wonderful writer, and my, my book is amazing. And it fell through. Nobody wanted it because what I have um, naturally is a voice. It's, it's kind of similar to music. I have a really strong voice, an ear for language, an ear for writing, an ear for music, but I didn't have the technique down. And so that fell through um, through the years. I tried to rewrite it myself, and that never worked. And then I picked it up this past year, um, got another agent, immediately and uh immediately fell through and i still hadn't figured out i needed to hire an editor (laughs) so at that point um i I stopped with the agent hired an editor and i actively went out after you know rewriting it and um publishing it myself and so it's it's taken off from there oh that's wonderful yeah so jennifer how does your spirituality find expression in your art whether it's your music or whether it's your writing um well i kind of have three gifts going on um I i i my strongest gift is teaching. That's and, and that's straight from God. It's just I can relate to kids. I'm a fixer, whether it's kids or adults. That's what, and I'm good at that with mom. You know, as a mom, I like to fix things, see a problem, and fix things. So teaching comes very easily, and I this that's straight. My mom's a teacher. My sister's a teacher with um, dance. Um, as far as music, that's my hardest gift from God because. I am very insecure as a violinist. And so when I'm out there performing or in Georgia Symphony, what's going through my mind is I'm horrible. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. And so <laughs> it's constantly going through my mind. So I would say that um, music is the one gift I have from God that really pushes me the most. And it's the hardest for me to um, let go. I can't fix things always in music. You can't be perfect on the violin. And that's probably why God gave me this gift, because you there's too many sounds and too many things that can go wrong. Um, and then my, my probably um, my most rewarding one and my favorite is writing, which I've just discovered. I, I love to write. I can immediately get in my own little world. And I also like to make people laugh. So um, that's where I am right now. Well, and your comment about you can't be perfect on the violin. Are there other instruments that you can be more perfect with the way that you play it than, than you can with the violin? Oh, gosh, yes. I, I Hands down, string instruments are the hardest. Really? Oh, yes. I mean, especially the violin. I mean, just by its nature, turning your head to the side, holding it, it's very alien. It's not a, a natural instrument. My oldest son plays the bass. That's far more natural than the violin. Um, and there's just too many things that can go about wrong from um, the bow hand to the posture to the music. There's just so many factions, but I've got to say it's beautiful, and I'm addicted to it. I love it, but it's hard. 
That's that's really interesting that that's um, the instrument that really called to you and that it it it's the hardest too for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's but maybe that's why I um you know because I have to. That's part of I think God and part of religion is learning to have faith and and let things go that's out of your power. And so um, that's the hardest one for me. I think that's one of the hardest things for everybody is to yeah. let things go that are out of your power. Yeah, because I think our tendency is to want to control everything around us. I, it really is. I, I have two teenage kids right now, and I'm my oldest, I, I'm really in it now with my old teenage son, he's 15, and trying to let it go and let him make his own mistakes is, there's another challenge from God. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you mentioned that one of your sons plays the bass. bass. Yes, are yeah. both of your children musical? They are. Um, they started uh, with piano years ago. Um, and they were horrible at it. They hated it. And I thought, oh, my husband's a musician also, beautiful bass singer. Um, and I thought, oh, Lord, the apple really has fallen far from the tree. <laughs> I mean, it's really in my background. And, and they just did not bond with piano. Um, and then uh, middle school came, and William found the bass, and Robert, my youngest, found the trumpet. And it's their thing. I'm really proud of both of them. Oh, that's wonderful. So when you um, are getting ready to create, whether it's for you know, teaching, you know, getting ready to teach somebody or whether it's, you know, doing your writing or your or your work as a musician. Right. Do you have any kind of a process that you use to connect to that creative flow or to cr- connect to that spiritual side of yourself that gives you that inspiration? Um, no. And let me tell you why. It's kind of like uh, cooking for me. I don't cook with recipes. In fact, my book has recipes in it. And trying to get those recipes together for this book was harder than writing the book. I, I am at my best when I just wing it um, in writing and in cooking. When I follow recipes, I mess up. It's like I'm attention deficit. I, I, I just I look away and suddenly I have no idea what I put in the <laughs> food. And I, I just I if I just follow my heart and I just teach or I just um, cook um, or I just write. If I write an outline for a book, it's horrible. If I just write, then I can get in the moment. Um, and I, I actually get in the scene and I see it in my head. Um, but if I try and contrive it at all, it doesn't work. Violin is different, though. That's the only one that I have structure with. I cannot wing it. That's the area where I'm insecure. If I don't have structure, then I freak out. So that's a little, and I have to have music. I'm a little bit different. A therapist would probably have a field day with me. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do, do you have any ways that you um, get in the moment in other areas of your life? I know that you were just saying that, you know, you have to be in the moment to be able to be in that, right. that area of just being purely creative. Um, okay, so tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean? Well, I'm just wondering if you, like, do you meditate? Do you have a a, a practice of regular prayer? Or do you have, uh, some people journal, some people doodle, some people do different things to kind of get them into that practice of being in the moment? No, I just, I, I don't know if it's, it's a feeling um, from God or I, I don't know. I have no problem tapping into my creativity. It's just... It's just there. I'm one of those. I have one of those brains that's so far on the creative side. My logical side is probably this shriveled up nub. I'm just so far on the creative side. Um, but as as far as being, you know, inspired from God or I, I, it's just I don't know. It's it's a, it's more just there. It's something I tap into. So do you um, connect differently to to your work and to people when you're working solo versus when you're working collaboratively? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, teaching, I have no problem um, 
In fact, I, I kind of um, often relate teaching to almost being a bartender because it, I'm with the parents as much as the kids. I could the stories I could write just from hearing from, <laughs> and it's from the parents too. They tell me things, and it's that's what I love about teaching because it's not only. Um, shaping and helping the kids. It's also the parents as much as the kids. Um, and if I, um, I'm performing, that's totally different because that's exposing myself, my flaws, everything for the whole world to see. And that is where I struggle with. But teaching, I have no problem with that because I'm in a different role. I'm helping people. Whereas performing, I'm ex- kind of exposing myself. And that's, that's very hard for me. So did you always perform? I mean, you started playing the violin so young. I did. I always have, and I've always struggled with it. I'm finally to the point now where um, I'm functional. Um, (laughs) I I love being in the symphony because um, I'm a part of a whole. I'm not on my own. Um, I I really think in music, you're either a performer or you're a teacher. I'm definitely a teacher. Um, But that being said, I love playing in the Georgia Symphony. It's one of my favorite things, so... I was going to say, it sounds like you have um, such nervousness, nervousness around performing that I'm surprised that you continue to perform if that's... Well, but, but you've got to understand, in a Georgia Symphony, I'm not on my own. I'm not solo. Right. And there's a big difference. Um, I, the, the, the heat's off of me to be perfect. I can just kind of get in the moment. My husband's the total opposite of me. He is better in front of a crowd. He feeds off a crowd. I do not. Um, but that being said, there are moments, especially in the symphony, where I'm in the moment and I'm actually enjoying it at that moment. And I think that's a really trick or key to life is actually enjoying that moment you're in. I mean, I can think of like 10 times in my whole life where at that moment I'm realizing I'm happy. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so. Which is a pretty powerful thing to um, to come to an acknowledgement of. I think so. I, I, I'm glad I've figured it out. Um, you know, I may be, I, I may get a little lost sometimes in the shuffle, but I think I got a, a grasp on the big picture here. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about your book that you're writing, Musical Chairs. It yeah. sounds like maybe some of the stories that you're gathering through teaching are going to be able to make their way into the book. <laughs> They'll probably pop up some of them. Um, I'll have to change them quite a bit, but some of them. Uh, musical Chairs is um, it's a, a mystery, and what I kind of want to do is. Um, if uh, you're familiar with foodie mysteries, books that um, revolve around food, um, they're called cozy mysteries, kind of like um, Murder, She Wrote is a cozy mystery. Um, and what food mysteries do is, is taps into our market, which is food, gourmet food, um, and ties it in with mysteries. I want to do that for music. And so I, I thought, you know, I wanted to start out with picking tomatoes first because it's food. It's not a mystery. Mysteries are really hard to write, uh, actually. But it's food, and I can develop my wacky voice, get a fan base. Um, And so now I'm working on musical chairs, and I'm dividing musical chairs up into um, three parts. Um, It's kind of based on Dvorak's New World Symphony, and I wanted it to be on the same movements of Dvorak's New World Symphony, um, each part of it. Um, And it starts out, each chapter is a music quote, just like Picking Tomatoes had a food quote. Each chapter is a music quote. Um, I'm keeping the same wacky voice I had in Picking Tomatoes. It's younger, geared towards a younger audience. Uh, The the protagonist is is Molly Malone instead of Maggie, and it's a cousin of of Maggie. Um, She's an Irish fiddler and um, a symphony player. And, of course, she gets herself into scrapes just like Maggie does in Picking Tomatoes. Um, But I want to make music... um, accessible and and likable to to you know the public is what i want to do so 
And funny. I want to make a funny. Mm -hmm. I've got funny stories to tell. So, And I love books that make me laugh. Yeah. I mean, I love anything yeah. that makes me laugh, but especially yeah. a book that makes me laugh, I think, is just such a jewel. So, Well, I hope people will like it. You know, laughter and humor is subjective, so I'm hoping people like it. So, Jennifer, how do your ideas come to you, and how do you decide which ideas you're going to pursue? It's not, it's not a thought process with me. I just I just do it. <laughs> you know that people always ask that about my last book. Where'd you get the the idea for picking tomatoes? I just sat down and wrote. That's I, I never dawned on me that I would write anything else. That's what I wanted to. I had a couple ideas in mind. I knew it wanted to be um, picking tomatoes is geared towards middle aged women. I wanted that. I wanted her to reinvent herself in the book. So I had those two ideas in mind. And musical chairs, um, I, I want to make um, musical mysteries. That's my idea. So I had that in mind. Um, so. so there might be a whole series of musical I'm mysteries. Plan I'm planning on it, yeah. If this one takes off, yeah. So do you write every day? No. No, I would love to. Um, I just, uh, my hands are in so many things. I'm such a multitasker that there's, I, I would love to have one day where I just do one thing. It's just like a dream of mine. But, you know, I'm a mother and a wife and a, a teacher and a musician and it's just, it's overwhelming. So I, my typical day is multitasking. So usually what I'm doing is, and I, I'm, forgive me violence students for saying that, but half the time when I'm teaching, my mind is actually in my book thinking about what I'm going to be writing. <laughs> and when I'm talking to my boys or I'm cooking, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I could do this. I'm a huge multitasker. And, and what I just wrote in an article for somebody, my style of living is called, I call it Monet living where, um, it's little dots, little things all at the same time. And when I step back, I see the big picture. And it's I'm creating little works of art that, you know, one day I'm hoping that I can stand back and really enjoy my masterpieces. Right now I'm not because I've got my hands in so many things. Um, but I, so the way I write right now is multitasking. I, I get a little bit in here and there. Sometimes it's in my head. Sometimes I get to write it down. So. so do you have certain days of the week that you teach? I do. I teach uh, Monday through Thursday, and then I teach Saturday also. Okay. So, yeah. so it sounds like you have music that's going on. Oh, yes. Either you're playing or oh, teaching. Yes. Or my boys. It's, it always sounds like a conservatory in my house, you know, the trumpet and the bass and my instruments and the violins. And my husband sometimes will be singing. It's And the dog's barking, of course. <laughs> Can't <laughs> so, forget that. So do all of your family play together at all? We, we play... Um, the boys and I play at our church orchestra, and, uh -huh. and that's a treat to have my boys. And, and my husband sings in the King, Kingsmen at Mount Bethel, is our church, uh -huh. um, on Lower Roswell, Mount Bethel Methodist. And my husband sings in the Kingsmen in the choir. And so there'll be occasions where we'll all be up there. And I have to say that that's one of those moments I just tuck into my heart because we're all up there in the sanctuary on the stage, and it's, it's a treat. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, Jennifer, how has your art affected your spiritual evolution or how has your spiritual evolution affected your art? Um, it's affected my music because that is when I'm up there, especially, you know, playing at Mount Bethel, I'm having to let things go and I'm, I'm really working on turning it over to God when I'm playing because that's like I, I shared with you earlier, that's the hardest area for me. So um, it's evolving just like my faith is evolving, you know, I'm hoping I'm, I'm, I'm letting things go and relaxing a bit, but it's a work in progress, definitely. So, so we talked a little bit about your upcoming book, Musical yeah. Chairs, but can you tell us a little bit more about Picking Tomatoes? Picking Tomatoes. Um, okay, so I, I told you I started in 2006, and it was the Chef of Hearts. Um, and then I got the editor last year, rewrote it, and it developed into Picking Tomatoes 
um, I finally came to the title because it's the name of a column she's writing. Um, Maggie Malone's the main character. Her husband, um, is she's in her 40s. Her husband is having an affair with a next-door neighbor. Um, she leaves him, discovers she's pregnant. She's never been able to have a baby, and she has no money. And so she lies. She enters a contest um, for cooking and women, uh, and she lies and says she's a chef and um, that she can write, and she becomes a columnist for the, this article. And the article um, is later dubbed Picking Tomatoes, and it's pretty much women write into her about problems with men, and she writes back to them her advice, culinary therapy advice, um, <laughs> and she ties it together with recipes. And I obviously... At the end of the book, everything comes around, or lies are exposed, and she kind of finds herself and reinvents herself, and she finds, you know, true love. The whole happy ending there, but throughout the book, she can't cook, so she's learning how to cook. In the book, she's learning how to write. In the book, and some of the escapades in the kitchen are pretty wacky. <laughs> well, and you said, and you mentioned earlier that that when you cook, that yeah. you don't follow a recipe, I, and yep. then you had to come up with yes. recipes for this. Yes. So then, did you did you make the dishes again based on your recipes once they were in the book? I actually um, to spearhead these recipes, I went to my mom in Savannah, and we just. You know, closeted ourselves in the kitchen for a whole weekend and went after these recipes, um, trying different things and, and experimenting. And, and, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. And then writing it down. It's a lot of fun, but it was hard because I don't I never cook anything the same way twice. So somebody was really happy to be a taster that weekend. Sure. <laughs> My father loved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, and I um, I know that you said that you grew up in a in a household with yeah. parents that encouraged your artistic pursuits yeah. and anything you wanted to do. And now you are parenting yeah. children that have artistic pursuits. Yeah. Do you have any advice for our listeners that may have children that they are parenting or things that they could um, take away about encouraging others to, to go after the creative things that they want to do? Um, I guess first you have to really look at your child and, and find out their gifts. Because like I said, with my boys, I thought it was piano and I was pushing them hard and, and, you know, cracking the st- the whip and, you know, you've got to practice every day and it was the wrong gift. And so you got to look hard at your child. If you all of your life wanted to play the violin, for example, that may not be right for your child. So first you got to look at your child and, and, and figure out what their gifts are. And then you've got to um, put them in lessons and give it an amount of time. Do not give up after three weeks because little Johnny hates it. Once once a child has started a lesson or art or whatever they're doing, it gets a little bit old for them after a few weeks, and they have to practice, and it's no longer cool. you got to get over that hump right there. Give it six months, try it, and then if it's not working at six months, then maybe you know try another another thing. So. So with the music that you teach, do you only teach violin or do you teach other instruments no, as well? I only teach violin, yeah. yeah. So how did you get interested in the bluegrass part of violin? Um, years ago, I used to teach with a lady in town, Carol Stoke. Um, she's got a great program, a Suzuki program, and um, you know I'm classically trained, never played bluegrass, um, didn't like country music. My husband loves country music, um, was a bit of a snob about that. And her program, Carol Stoke's program, um, it really had a lot of bluegrass. And she said, okay, you got to teach this if you're going to be a teacher with us. And so I started learning the songs and playing, and then I discovered, you know what? It's actually kind of fun, and I've been kind of snobby. And it's a blast, and the kids love it. Um, we can go fast. Uh, one of their favorite things is we do this thing called um, I Teach Group Class, 
usually once a month. This year is a little different because I'm I'm working. I've got my hands on a lot of project, but I usually teach group class at Mount Bethel, and I put all my kids together, and we learn how to perform, and we'll do this thing called Last Man Standing, where I'll do a bluegrass song as fast as I can go, and see who can hang with me till the end. And you got to sit down <laughs> as you make mistakes, and so that's their their ultimate goal. My students is to smoke Mrs. Bull. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And, so do you do you play your instrument differently when you're playing a bluegrass style versus a more classical style? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, bluegrass is fat. The, the funny thing about bluegrass, the faster you go, the more you have to relax. And there that ties in with that whole thing with me being tense and uh, insecure about violin. Um, so you, you have to relax. You have to use smaller bows. There's a bit of um, sliding around in, in bluegrass. It's a lot of fun. You can slide on notes. That's a lot of fun. Um, maybe it's a, a di- different style. It's not different the way you hold it. It's not a different instrument. People think, oh, the fiddle's different from the violin. It's the same instrument. It's just the style. So. Well, and I know that... Um like people that can play a guitar more banjo style, but it has to be strung differently. But it sounds like with the violin, it's not that way. No, it's it's just an interpretation of style. Um, it's a lot of fun. Bluegrass is a lot of fun. Um, Orange Blossom Special in particular is my kids love. It's very hard, and it's got this thing called a triple shuffle. You're shuffling back and forth with, with um, three strings, and it's really fast. They love it. Oh, that yeah. sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so do your kids all do a performance a couple of times a year? We do. Like I said, this year's been different because I've got my hands in too many things with my writing, and so I'm not doing as much. But normally we do spring recital. We usually do. Um, we usually play at retirement homes for blue for just bluegrass concerts and for Christmas. Um, I'm a bit behind right now, but that's usually what we do. So, and the retirement homes, the the older people love it, and my kids, you know, as they're learning how to perform, we may not always sound the best, but that's how we learn it, and and our audience is great. They love it. So. So when you're teaching, are there are there a couple of things that you can share with us about, you know, a couple of big things that you tell your your students, you know, this is this is kind of what you do to kind of tap into this flow and relaxing and being able to let it come through or or, or whatever you would want them to know. Or are there a couple of things that you can share with us? Um, the, the biggest thing I've learned through teaching is is figuring out that particular student mind. What makes them tick? Every child that comes into me has quirkinesses, and I've got to figure them out so then when the music gets tough, which it does on the violin, um, we can try different ways to attack the problem. Um, there is no set way for figuring out hard spots in music because everybody's mind works so different. Sometimes I have to kind of go in the back door for some students. Sometimes I have to do more uh, creative. I'll mark the music in colors. And some, some things I have to do totally by ear. And they're not, you know, music driven and I got to go after the ear. So as a violinist, I have to almost be like a detective and figure out what is the best best way of getting through to this child. And that's, that taps into that gift where I like to fix things. It's a puzzle to me. What makes them tick and how can I fix it and make it click for them? So, so how long does a student usually stay with you? Um, I have a lot of kids that have been with me since they're four and they're teenagers. I've got, you know, you have the normal turnover. Um, sometimes it's not cool to be in violin anymore when you hit middle school. And, um, sometimes you get a child that it's just not their thing, but 
in general, I get to grow up with these kids, and it's a treat. They're like my own. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So share with our listeners how they can get in touch with you, whether they want to buy your books or whether they want to hire okay. you to be their teacher. Um, my books are on Amazon. Uh, my book right now, um, Musical Chairs, is not out yet, but Pickin' Tomatoes is on Amazon. Um, and uh, and that's under J.W. J. Bull. Bull. J.W. Bull. Um, and um, I also have a website, pickintomatoes.com. Um, and then if you want to get in touch with me, um, I guess my regular email address probably is the best way to get in touch with me, planetbull at comcast.net. Um, right now I have a wait list for teaching, but I love talking to people and I love trying to fit people on my schedule, so I'm always open. So. And picking tomatoes doesn't have a G on picking. It's picking. P- yeah, P-I-C-K-I-N and then tomatoes.com. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, do you have any last thoughts for our listeners about how they can tap into their own creativity? Um. You know, there, there are a couple quotes I used in my book, Picking Tomatoes, that I really liked. One, one's not a quote. One's just a word, impossible. And I love that word because and I forget where I, I, I don't know why I would never put this together, but I haven't. And I read it somewhere. I am possible. And I love that. And so um, just you got to remember you're possible. I mean, in, in the creation you were created, it's amazing that we were created. So if you want to go after your dreams, go for it. It's possible. So, Thank you, Jennifer. It's been really such a treat to have you on the show. I thank appreciate you. you being here. I appreciate here. it. Well, and thank you to our listeners. Um, I, I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artasworship.net. Please come share your stories of Art as Worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Art as Worship. Listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.